hear these words this, this, this morning. I'm not going to read the whole text. I'm just going to read in part of it, and uh, the first part, and we're going to work our way through it. One day, Elisha went on to Shuman, and, uh, where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, a lamp, so that whenever he comes to us, he can go there. And one day he came there and he turned into the chamber and rested there. We'll, we'll stop there. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, kids, line up at the door. We'll pray for you and for us. Father, uh, we will see uh, this woman from Schumann. She will um, say those exact words. It is well. And for many of us this morning, it is not well. And so we pray that as we uh, meet with you today in your word, that you would not help us necessarily come to this conclusion of optimism that's not grounded in any kind of thing or reality. It's just a cushion for us. That we might be able to come to this place where we can say it as well because of what we know that Jesus does and who he is. And we all need that kind of encounter with you, Lord, in a broken world. So help these little ones and help us to see clearly Jesus today, the one place, the one person in which there's any hope for it all being well. Bless us, Lord, we pray today, through your word, by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good time, kids. The rest of you can be seated. Danette and I just finished watching a show called Dead to Me. Um, The show actually is a show really about death and grief. It's a comedy, but they kind of roundabout deal with this idea of death and grief. Grief, They they grapple with it. The the show starts with a grief support group and a, a girl named Jen who's lost her husband and she meets another girl named Judy, and through all different sources, uh, all kinds of adventures and things, uh, they develop a deep friendship, and through that friendship, they grapple with the pain and realities of life. Um, towards the end of the, the show, um, Jen keeps experiencing these deja vu moments, these moments when she senses that where she is right now She's been there before. Like, have you ever experienced deja vu? What does it feel like? For me, it starts in the back of my my neck, and then it kind of rises up over my head, and then kind of ends somewhere in my stomach. And as I feel this, my mind tries to grapple with this question. Why, Why is this so familiar? I feel like I've experienced this very thing before. And that's when it hits my gut and the hairs on my neck stand up and my mind asks, like, when? Have I? How, how could I? It's deja vu. When Jen in the show has these moments, her friend Judy says to her, deja vu is your brain reminding you 
to remember. I found that fascinating, that idea. Your brain is slowing down for a moment, reminding you to stop, to be present, and to remember. I like that because this passage, in some ways, is a deja vu passage. We, we, will, we will read it and go, like, haven't we been here before, right? And the funny thing about the Bible is the story of Israel is the story where she seemingly makes the circuitous route back to where she was again and again and again. And 2 Kings after redemption, and then the wandering, and then the redemption again. And now the people are back to wandering. And in Israel, the kings have led the people to idolatry. And the prophet of God, the man of God, the man of God who has the words of God, is a voice crying out in the desert. Remember, return to the Lord. And Elijah was the icon of prophetic ministry, and Elisha is his mini-me. Now, there's differences and similarities. Uh, Elijah confronts Ahab. He feeds a widow and her son, and then later he gives life back to that same son, resurrecting him from the dead. The widow and the son were not part of Israel. They lived outside the community of Israel. Elisha is both the same, he is clearly the man of God with the words of God and the power of God's spirit set upon him, enabling him to do this work, but he works largely within the confines of the northern kingdom of Israel. Remember, the kingdom has been divided at this time in kings between north and south. And south is Judah, it's the tribe of Judah, that's where the temple is in Jerusalem, and the north has been separated from the temple, been separated in some ways from the presence of God in the land. And Elijah camps out in this northern kingdom. Now his ministry is not public. Most of the ministry Elisha does is behind closed doors. There's a hiddenness to his work. Elisha doesn't so much declare judgment as much as he nurtures renewal within the northern kingdom of Israel. Elisha is the man of God. And he is called to bring renewal to Israel. He is to do this through God's word, to call the people to remember. Now, Elisha's miracles are not just acts of power, but they're signs. Signs of God's presence, God's love, God's remembrance of his people. This is a God, Elisha in his life, in Acts, this is a God who redeems. He, he buys back his wayward people. Elisha's life and ministry, his words, his miracles declare God's favor to Israel. All who remain close to this prophet have life, blessing, renewal. But to experience this, you must be roused to Remember. Now remember, this book comes into a context in history. It's when Israel is in exile that they would receive these words the first time. And it would feel like for Israel in Babylon, in exile, that God is absent. And here, God's people are not in the land. They're not experiencing God's rule or blessing. So what do they need? They need to remember. Friends, this morning, 
perhaps like what's happened this week in Turkey and Syria has like shaken you to feel like, man, what, what, where are you, God? It doesn't have to be that. There's all different kinds of ways this morning that you might be grappling with the Lord. What do you need to remember? Maybe where you are, that you're here again, right where you were last week in the same state of sin, brokenness, forgetfulness. Maybe when you are, not just where you are, but you need to remember when you are, that your past and your story is in some way in the present crippling you. Or you worry so much about tomorrow. Or maybe who you are. Like, you've forgotten who you are in this world. You've been beaten so much by your circumstances or events that you need to remember, like, who you are. And and in, in that, the kernel in that is, like, whose you are. God created you. He is, has you hit, sitting in these seats today, and he has a word for you. In all those places, when you are there again or here again, and then this text again, the Bible again, these deja vu places, these deja vu texts are calling us all to stop and remember. And so we're going to remember this morning that God is a host, that God is a giver of life, that God is a resurrector, and restorer of life. Those are our points this morning through this deja vu text. First, God is a host. We are introduced in these first verses here to a God as host through this woman. God likes to do this and surprise us in Scripture. Elijah has just left the widow and her sons, freeing them from their debts through a sort of never-ending supply of oil, and now he comes to this town, Shunem. And there he meets an unnamed woman, Simply the Shunammite woman in our text. Shunam was a uh, city in the tribe of Issachar. So this woman was most likely a part of this tribe. She's married. We're told that she's wealthy. Not that her husband's wealthy, which is interesting, but that she is wealthy. And that she's also a respected woman in her community. And Elijah comes to her town, and when she sees Elijah, she recognizes some things about him, and she urges him, we're told, to eat food. There are these women in every family and church always wanting us to eat, always filling our plates, overflowing. Oh, oh, you're too skinny. You need to eat. You need to eat more. This woman recognizes Elisha as holy, we're told. Behold, I know this man is holy. She says, she recognizes that this man, Elisha, was full of God's spirit. So not only does she feed him, urge him to eat and feed him again. Every time she sees him, she's stuffing food into his mouth and onto his plate. But she also makes room for him. This is what hospitality is. It's making room. Squeezing out space in your life for others. A person can make room in all different sorts of ways, but literally, she makes a room. It says in verse 10, let us make a small room on the roof. Let's let's build an addition for this holy man. Let's make a room for him. So she makes room by feeding him, 
and then stopping to see and recognize this man and his needs for sustenance. And then she like does the Airbnb thing, right? She supplies his needs in a place. A host makes room. And by making room, we see that Elisha then makes room for the woman. He does this in this little addition. This little addition with Elijah in it becomes a, now stay with me here, a type of temple. A type where it's a thin place where it seems like heaven and earth are kind of like meat. And it meets in this upper room with Elisha the prophet. Isn't it interesting, right? That in the northern kingdom, the people are separated, cut off from the temple. They have no access to go to Judah and worship God. And what has Israel done in their history to deal with that? They've created temples of their own making, not trusting that God would provide his presence for his people. And so everywhere that Elisha goes, every place that he touches, becomes this thin place where God's presence, represented in the mantle that Elisha carries, God's presence is everywhere Elisha touches. And most assuredly, here in this little room that the the woman has created for him. God is a God who makes room. What's interesting is this little mini room is like a mini temple. Inside she places a bed, a table, a chair, a menorah, a candle, and the furniture kind of mimics the furniture in the temple, a type of a place for the showbread, a type of throne or ark, a type of an altar. And Elisha oddly speaks to the woman through his bubbling, bumbling servant Gehazi. Every time he speaks to the woman, he speaks through a mediary. And that mediary is Gehazi. I sometimes think about Don Quixote and Sancho Panza when I read this. But Gehazi is the priest of Elisha. We're told in verse 23 that the Shunammite woman visits Elisha on Sabbath and new moons to further kind of drive home this point as Elisha as the, the representative temple of the Lord in the northern kingdom. It's also why later the sons of the prophets bring Elisha their first fruits, just like they would if they were going to the temple. Again, the text is telling us to remember through this woman, through the upper room, and through Elisha, that God is a present host to Israel, to us. He's a God who makes room. Israel needs God's presence. They are cut off. He provides his presence through the person and work of Elisha. The faithful here in Israel, in the northern kingdom, don't have a temple. They have Elijah and a small room and a bumbling priest. But the promise is the same. Yahweh is here. He hasn't forgotten you. He's making room for you. He is your host. I love what Peter Leihart says here. He says, renewal and revival movements always look pathetic. Meetings in basements and catacombs, crowded small living rooms where songs are sung, where the word is read, not cathedrals necessarily, but in these small places, God is making room for his people 
through his presence and his spirit. And the ministry of Elisha is moving towards something. What's he moving towards? The renewal and restoration of the northern kingdom of Israel. We will see this in 2 Kings 11 where there's restoration of sorts of temple worship under King Joash. Again, as Israel reads this story hidden in Babylon, God is calling his people to remember that even here, even here in Babylon, there is a thin membrane. God is with you there in Babylon. He hasn't forgotten you. He will restore you. This morning, where do you need to be reminded? That God is here. Where, where do you need to be reminded that God is your host, that he is preparing a place for you where you can know him as God, that he is present? This morning, that is the promise where two or three are gathered together around word and table in the name of Jesus. God is there. It's a promise, right? Imagine in Iran or Turkey or Syria. God is even here. Even here, on the backside of Jesus, the membrane is thin. God is making room. And maybe you all feel this right now in this moment in your life. How, how can God possibly be here? And what's the response? What's the response? Well, the woman responds to this God being here by making room, receiving God as host, receiving God who feeds her and provides for her needs through Elijah. Now, and, and maybe there's a note for us as well, for others. One of the ways God intends to reveal his presence is through you in the community of faith and outside of this community of faith to others. In all of this, the, the Shunammite woman is, in, was, is encouraging Elisha in his call, and this leads to a request that she makes of Elijah. And here we see that God is the giver of life. We're going to read verse 12. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, say now to her, see, you, would, you, ha you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, well, well, she has no son, and her husband is old. Elisha said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. And he said to her, at this season, about this time, next year, deja vu, by the way, same kind of words spoken by the angel to Sarah, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, oh man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived and she bore a son about that time, the following spring, as Elijah had said to her. The text is calling us to remember God is a giver of life. Elisha says to the Gehazi, call the Shunammite. He calls her. Gehazi, say to her, you have taken all this trouble for us. You've made room for us. You, you've provided food and drink and refreshment. You've been our host. What can we do for you? Would you have a word spoken on behalf of the king? I can do it. I can, I can command the, 
the armies of the Lord of hosts, what would you have me do? And notice her, com- her comment, her, her seeming contentment. She actually doesn't voice any needs at all. It's like she is there and she says, I have what I need, but then Gehazi speaks up for the woman. Again, this is what a priest would do. Speak to the Lord and intercede for her. He speaks intercession for her to Elisha. She doesn't have a child. Her husband is old. Now sit in this. There's so much attached in the scriptures to childlessness and barrenness. And there's a hopelessness and shame in the ancient world if you have no child and an old husband. How would her name continue? Her estate. Who might care for the Shumanite woman when she ages if there is no heir? There is the thought that maybe God is punishing this one who couldn't have children. We do this true. We, we, we hear someone who can't have a child and we, we strike out on an efficiency quest. Techniques for why one can't or should have a child. But, but all that pain is, is lathered with all sorts of shame. Elijah says, call her. Tell her to come closer. You see God making room, providing So she does, and she stands where? She stands in the doorway. Again, this temple connection. Elisha in this little room is the temple, the place of God's presence and power. He is the Holy One. She stands near, but at the threshold. And that threshold is in the temple would have been the the thinnest of membranes where God's presence would descend on the temple to meet with God's people. And here, Elisha speaks the words, at this time next year, in this season, literally the text reads, in the time of living, you shall embrace a son. I love that. You you shall hold on to and clutch on and latch on to a son. You'll hold a child. The beauty and the wonder of this, right? In Elijah's words, the, the woman's absence, her emptiness, Words she couldn't even speak, replaced with fullness. Oh, oh, don't do that to me, man of God. Oh, don't you lie to me like that. It's true. This is the Shunammite woman's impossible prayer requests. So impossible she can't voice it. It has to come through Gehazi. What impossible things are you afraid to voice to God and to others? What places in your life are so devoid of life that to make it known would confront you face to face with the shame of it all? What places this morning, City President, do you need to remember God is the giver of life? And this leads to point three, God is a resurrector. Verse uh, 18, when the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers, and he said to his father, oh, oh, my head, my head. And the father said to his servant, 
carry him to his mother. And, and when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon. And then he died. And she went and laid him on the bed, and the man of God shut the door behind him and went out. And then she called her husband and said, Send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys, that I might go quickly to the man of God and come back again. And he said, Why, will you go to him today? It's neither new moon or Sabbath. And she said, All is well. Is it well? I mean, how can it be well? This miracle baby, her only one, he is no more. What was presence is now absence again. Is she voicing faith or is she voicing some kind of Pollyanna optimism? Is it a way for her just to calm down her affect, a a cocoon of quickie phrases to protect herself from the pain? Maybe it's all of these things. When When you... when you fail, when you experience loss, when you're hurt, when you're traumatized, how do you shield yourself from it? What, what do you do to try to cope with it? How do you find regulation? The woman says it as well, and maybe this is a place of faith. Now, now see what she does, verse 24. Then she saddled the donkey and she said to her servant, urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me until I tell you. So she sat out. And came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. There's that word urge again, same as verse 8, urging Elisha to eat her food. She is now urging her animals to, only, to the only man that can resurrect her dead son. Go on, she cries, I'm right behind you, go on. Don't miss the cries of her heart here. In the midst of it is well is the urging to Elijah and the hope for another miracle. She, she left her house to go to Elijah knowing if he brought her son into the world, then maybe he could resurrect him from the dead. And the man of God is at Mount Carmel. Interesting, right? Again, deja vu. The scene of the great triumph of Elijah. Elisha is there. Verse 25, when the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, look, look, there is the Shunammite. Run at once to meet her. And say to her, is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? And she answered, all is well. Notice the, the word play. Is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with your child? Like we get these moments, these times, when we get a call, message. Maybe it's an odd time of day or night, just like this person never calls or visits, and now they're at, their, at your door. And what do you say? Is everything okay? Are you all right? Is often the replay, right? All is well, they say, but then you, you do a little digging and your presence becomes a harbor by which the floodgates open. All isn't well. The woman has come to the mountain, the mount of God, and the question, is it really well? And when she comes to the mountain, to the man of God, verse 27, she caught hold of of his feet. And Gehazi came to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone, for she is in, she's in bitter distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. She, she says it as well, but when she sees Elisha, she collapses at his feet. 
and she clutches at them. And she won't let go. The same embrace by which she held that baby, the same embrace by which she held her dead son, now that same embrace is clutching to the feet of the man of God. This is the Shunammite woman's grasp of faith. I think about the disciples too, by the way, in Gehazi, right? Pushing the crowds and the other people away from Jesus, while in Jesus is inviting those who fall at his feet and clutch at him. Remembering, friends, will lead you to clutch. Remembering will lead you to grab hold. She's in bitter distress. In fact, Elijah says, I I didn't even know about this. The Lord kept it from me. And all the woman can do is clutch. Maybe you've been in a place where you need some sort of like resurrecting power to intervene into into your life and you're clutching holding on to whatever promises you can find in God's word, in the words of another, in the words of a stranger. Every time they say some words of hope, you have no hope. You are in great despair. And those words of hope, as they come out of someone else's mouth, you are are trying to grab hold of it. That is the latching grip of faith. Or maybe you're in such deep distress that you don't know what to clutch on to, and so you latch on to your friend, their, their presence. These are clutches of faith. When we fall here in desperation, what the text of 2 Kings wants you to know, God is there. Verse 28, then she said, did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I say, don't tell me no lies? Verse 29, he said to Gehazi, Tie up your garment and take my staff in your hand. Now that garment most likely is his mantle. And go. And if you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not reply. Get going and lay my staff wrapped in my mantle on the face of the child. And then the mother of the child says, as the Lord lives, as you yourself live, I will not leave you. I will not leave you. I will not leave you, Elisha. You promised, Elisha. I will not leave you. I am clutching. I will not leave. As the Lord lives, as I live, I am with you. So he arose and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the face of the child. But there was no sound. There was no sign of life. Therefore he returned to meet him and told him, Master, the child is not awakened. And when Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying on the bed, uh, dead. And so he went in. And so he went in. That is what God does. He shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay on the child mantle, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands. And as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. And then he got up and walked once back and forth in the house. 
He went up and stretched himself upon him, and the child sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elijah sends Gehazi ahead with his staff, but like the disciples, Gehazi is unable to perform the miracle. He's unsuccessful. The words used are the same words used of the prophets of Baal to being fire on the altar of Mount Carmel. They shouted their words and nothing happens. The, the prophet's staff here is insufficient. The prophet's priest here is insufficient. The child does not awake. It is only when Elisha himself clothed in the mantle of Elijah. Notice the deja vu. We've been here before with Elijah, the widow of Zarephath's son, another unnamed woman, a boy in the prophet's bed, a a bound-up door, a prayer to the Lord. At first, it does not work, and then the touch. Not just the touch of of hands, but the, the laying of the prophet's body on top of the boy's body. Friends, this is what Jesus does to you and to me. He doesn't just like stand afar off. He he enters the the room. He, he, He touches you in your death. Not afraid of being unclean. Elisha he, he doesn't get unclean from the boy being dead. That's what would have happened. His, his death in his body would have made Elisha unclean. Instead, life profuses out of Elijah as he lays on top of the boy and breathes into him the breath of life. And the boy, as the warm breath enters his nostrils, he sneezes. May you never hear the sneeze of a child and not think of the sneeze of the resurrection of the dead. That's what Jesus does to y'all, to me. Those dead places of your life, Jesus ain't afraid, man. He enters in. He is the resurrector. He, he comes into all those dead places, all, all the things that you've bound away, shut behind doors. I don't, no one can see this. No one can touch this. You are, you are a dead man wearing dead man's clothes. And into that space, Jesus always, always comes. And when he touches you there in that place, he revives you. This scene is so personal. It's more personal than the the scene even with Elijah. This is the son that Yahweh provided through Elisha's words to this woman. He, He knows this woman and her husband and his son, and it's beautiful. Verse 36, then Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, call this Shunammite. So he called her, and when she came to him, he said, pick up your son. Hear the words. Pick up the the one you embraced. The one who who you embraced as a baby. The one who you embraced when he was dead. The same way you embraced my ankle. Now, Now pick up your son and embrace him. And she came again and fell at his feet, bowing at the ground. And then 
to her amazement, she picks up her son and goes out. Absence is no more. God is the resurrector. Through the prophet, the boundary-breaking power of Yahweh is unleashed on death. Elisha is the carrier of resurrecting life. Absence gives way to presence. Do you believe in such a God? A resurrecting God. What is this deja vu moment of Scripture calling you to stop and remember? That God in, in the person of Jesus hovers over the void of your heart and breathes life to it, even when you forget, even when you've been exiled in some way in your forgetting. Israel will die in exile and is resurrected in her return. And it is here, in the return to the land, that Christ comes. Jesus, born to a virgin, descending into the world, and with him comes death-shattering life. He heals and resurrects. Everywhere he goes, life goes, even to a cross. Death could not hold him, we're told, because he is the life. And when we're united to him by faith, that clutching of the ankle of the Christ, life comes to us. So much life. So much life that even when Jesus is is physically absent from us, his presence fills all things all the more, right? This is the life that comes from the Son. God is the resurrector. And this is deja vu. It's this whole thing. Like, when this is enacted in the life and ministry of Jesus, right, it is, he is, the, it is deja vu. This is, this is God who is the resurrector and the restorer in the person of Jesus the Christ. Just like Elisha and Elisha, Elijah of old. This, this God is our generous host in Jesus. He, he's, he makes room for us, right? Isn't that the, the way of Jesus as he walks through the land of Israel, through Judah? Everywhere he goes, he, he stops. As the crowds are like scurrying about, trying to get his attention, they, they reach out and touch him. And he stops. He makes room for them. God is the giver of life. When when the woman touches the hem of his garment, the the woman's body is immediately healed. He's he's the resurrector. This story sounds so much right, like it's this the passage of Jesus in John eleven is deja vu to this passage as he shows up in Bethany late. Martha runs out to him. If you would have been here, my my brother would be alive. This is so I could display the work of God, Martha. Lazarus, come forth. And the grave clothes fall off and Lazarus marches out of the grave. God is the restorer. See, this text ends in chapter 8, actually. I'll try to rush this along. Elijah had said to the woman whose son he had restored to life, Arise and depart with your household and sojourn wherever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine and it will come upon the land for seven years. You see, 
Elisha doesn't forget the woman. A famine's coming to the land, and he warns her and says, you must leave. And so she leaves for seven years. She goes and sojourns in the land of the Philistines, we're told. Verse 3, at the end of the seven years, when the woman returned from the land of the Philistines, she went to appeal to the king for her house and her land. At the same time, all this was happening, circumstances of circumstances, Gehazi is there telling the king about what Elijah has done for this woman. And while he's telling the king, verse 5, how Elisha had restored the dead to life, behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life appealed to the king for her house and her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, here is the woman, and here is her son, whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed official for her, saying, Restore all that was hers, together with all the produce of the fields from that day that she left the land until now. You see, the king probably took this land, by the way, just so you know, that's kind of what probably happened from the woman. And now he gives it back to her and doesn't just give her back the land, but gives her back all the produce that would have been made from the land while she was gone for the seven years. Produce that wouldn't have happened, by the way, because they are in famine. It's produce that's happening now from the king's treasury sources that he gives to her. He restores, right? There's a passage in Joel chapter 2 where God announces to these in exile, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. Famine is years locusts have eaten. You have lived in years that locusts have eaten. And the promise of God, the, the deja vu moment of God, is that remember, God is a restorer. All that will be taken away in resurrection. Remember he says that you know, to his disciples, you, you leave father, mother, sister, brother. All that will be restored to you and then some because God is a restorer. This woman's return is a jubilee of restoration. And so, friends, today as we finish, um, every Sunday, like Jesus is the deja vu of God. He is God in the flesh. And every Sunday we stop here and we do the same thing over and over again. Call to worship, confession of sin, prayers, songs, sermon, long sermon, again, table. Stop and remember. God is the resurrector, the restorer, the giver of life. He is your host. And today he makes room for you. Let's pray. God, help us today as we come to your table to receive from you your body broken and blood poured out. <laughs> you are the God who truly takes all of our sin and enters the cold of the tomb where, where we should have been on a cross, in a tomb. You enter into that space on our behalf so that we can walk out forgiven, righteous, with life eternal. 
And this table is all a sign and a signifier of that act. And you're making room for us this morning to remember that. And not just remember it, but to t- come and taste and taste it. Taste the sweet and bitter of the wine. Taste the sweet of the bread. And remember, this is who you are. No matter what our circumstances and world might cry out to us about who you are, this is who you are. So help us, God, to imbibe it and remember and to be changed. We ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.